From COK Studios in Kaya Rizdal's Rumpus Room, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. On today's show, we'll consider the Trump administration's continued baseless claims of voter fraud in the 2016 election. We'll also consider the bad boy of Jewish klezmer music, Morty Kleinman. In our series, Consider the Sound. And we'll consider that Uptown Funk gonna give it to you. Don't believe me, just watch. Stay with us. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from PBN, now showing the new masterpiece series from the producers of Victoria, Prince Albert in a Can, starring Ben Wishaw. Episode 1, Better Let Him Out, airs this Saturday. Check local listings for showtimes. And the Ivanka Trump Collection. Fine women's wear and accessories not for sale at Nordstrom and anywhere else Donald Trump products are not sold. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. White House advisor Stephen Miller doubled down on the Trump administration's continued groundless claims of voter fraud during an interview on ABC's This Week on Sunday. Last week, President Trump claimed, with no evidence, that voters from Massachusetts were bused to New Hampshire to vote illegally. It is just one more in a long series of falsehoods from Trump and his team that seek to explain how they lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton by over three million votes. Miller claimed in his Sunday interview that the White House has provided enormous evidence of voter fraud, but COK News and other sources can confirm that the White House has not provided enormous evidence of massive nationwide voter fraud. Our gossip correspondent and popular teenage girl, Melissa Reynolds, went to New Hampshire to investigate the likelihood of this alleged voter fraud. Here is what she found. President Trump's senior advisor, Stephen Miller, claimed on ABC this weekend that there was lots of voter fraud going on when people were bused into New Hampshire to vote. The New Hampshire Secretary of State has said that there is no proof of buses appearing at polling places and that a bunch of voters arriving like that would have attracted lots of attention and junk. I see no evidence that anyone was bussed into our state to vote to sway the election. Plus, the large margin of victory where Hillary Clinton won were in other states. Pete Stevenson is a poll worker who has never seen one instance of voter fraud in like 30 years of working elections. Honestly, voter fraud doesn't happen. New Hampshire requires voters to either show valid ID or have their photo taken and sign an affidavit swearing to their identity. It's uh, it's pretty airtight. Oh, frailsies? Oh, yeah. The closest thing I ever saw to fraud this year was when this sloppy guy got syrup from his McGriddle on the voting machine. It was all sticky, so we had to switch it out with another machine. Another guy that same day gummed up the machine with barbecue sauce from his McRib. There's a McDonald's next door. Oh, God. McRib? Gross. Other than some grody guys who can't eat without spilling, there's nothing wrong with voting in New Hampshire. I spoke with some guy in the Trump administration because I had to be all objective and whatever, but he was totes lame. Voter fraud is everywhere. Dead people, old people, people from other states, the walking dead, stranger things, close encounters. It's all contributing to the fraud that cost Mr. Trump the popular vote. <sighs> Vance Blumpkin is totes wrong about the voter fraud, but he won't shut up about it. 
Mr. Blumpkin, all there was was a couple of guys that spilled their fast food on some voting machines. Oh, I know. They make rib sauce in the machines and the syrup and Arby's sauce and honey mustard and horsey sauce and that weird Chinese ketchup that hipsters like totally swung at least 500,000 votes to Hillary Clinton. It's a travesty that needs to stop. Make America sauce free again. That's only 500,000 votes. What about the other, you know, two and a half million? Sasquatch. Oh, God, whatever. From New Hampshire, where there's nothing to do and no sign of voter fraud, I'm Melissa Reynolds. You're listening to Consider Our Knowledge. When you think of Jewish klezmer, you probably don't think of it as a very edgy genre of music. But in the 1960s and 70s, Morty Kleinman changed all that. Known as Klezmer's Bad Boy, or Madman Morty, Kleinman redefined the music that originated in Eastern Europe as dance and instrumental pieces for weddings and bar mitzvahs. A new book about his band, The Morty Kleinman Experience, Sex, Drugs, and Klezmer, comes out this week. I spoke to Kleinman and his longtime collaborator in this installment of our music series, Consider the Sound. Morty Kleinman, thank you for joining us today on Consider the Sound. It's my pleasure. You changed the image of klezmer music because traditionally it had been thought of as Jewish wedding music. That's right. We made it rebellious and sexy. Our band was not Shabubi's klezmer. How did you form your band? Well, in the early 60s, I was playing the traditional stuff with my friend Larry Bloom, me on clarinet, and Larry on violin. It was very boring. We wanted to shake things up, but we didn't know how. I remember seeing Jim Morrison and the Doors on the Ed Sullivan Show, and Larry and I decided we had to harness that kind of raw sexuality with our music. In the way that Jim Morrison made love to the microphone, I wanted to make love to my clarinet. Oh, so what happened then? We added a few more guys to the band, and we grew our hair long and changed our look. We wore tighter pants and unbuttoned our shirts just a little and started to play songs that we wrote. We also changed the name of the band to the Morty Kleinman Experience. What was it before? The Mazeltov Twins! I want to bring Larry Bloom in now. Larry, tell us about how your band changed and incorporated new sounds and ideas. Well, we looked at what was happening with the rock music and the blues and jazz and infused it into our sound. We tried to become more provocative. A song like Be My Little Shiksa showed that we were growing away from the traditional Kletzmer roots. Let's hear a little of Be My Little Shiksa, the first song from your 1968 album, Exile in the Garment District. Did you hear the raw sexuality on that song? It was something totally new and totally fresh. Indeed. Larry, how did Morty change as the leader of the band? Well, he pushed us to be more creative and we spent long hours in the studio. We also started doing more drugs in the late 60s and 70s. Oi, we did so many drugs. They almost ruined us. We started smoking marijuana, but then we got into LSD and hotter stuff and it really changed things. We got introduced to LSD when we were on our tour in 1969 with the Rolling Steins. <gasps> you toured with the Rolling Stones? The, the Rolling Steins. 
They were another Klutzmer act. They wanted to be like us so bad, but they weren't as talented as we were. Oh, how did you get a reputation as Klezmer's bad boy? Ah, he was doing all these outrageous things on stage. At the end of the show, most nights I'd smash my clarinet on the stage. It was a great finish. I'd do it at the end of my 16-minute clarinet solo on Your Love Isn't Kosher. It got us kicked out of a few clubs because it got the crowd so worked up. That sounds like when Pete Townsend would smash his guitar at the end of Who concerts. Pete Townsend got that move from me. I smash my clarinet first, and then he's on TV the next week smashing his guitar. What a schmuck. Jimi Hendrix also stole stuff from Morty, too. Really? Yeah, he saw me light my clarinet on fire when we played Shalom in My Pants at the Catskills Klezma Festival. He stole my idea and then lit his guitar on fire. I sued him, but the court said I had no case. It was a bad moment that threatened to break up the band. I quit and moved to Florida, and I didn't perform on the next two albums, Klezmer After Dark and Torah Time. We got too focused on the sex and the drugs and forgot about the Klezmer. I was drinking two to three bottles of Manischewitz during every concert. It was bad. So what happened? Larry came and told me to get clean so we could get back to making good music again. It took about two years before I got totally sober, but Larry kept his promise, and we reformed with the original Kleinman Experience lineup in 1987 for a new album. Oh, that was Matzah Balls to the Wall. Correct! We've been together ever since, and I don't think we'll stop until we're dead. It's been a long, crazy ride, but the experience is still going strong, even after all this time. Larry, Morty, thank you for taking the time today. The book, Sex, Drugs, and Klezmer, about the history of the Morty Kleinman experience, hits bookstores this week. For Consider the Sound, I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. That's all for this week's episode of Consider Our Knowledge. If you'd like more from the best-looking news team in public radio, go to considerourknowledge.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at ConsiderOurKnow. You can download the podcast at iTunes and at Stitcher Radio at Stitcher.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley. The first song from your 1968 album, Exile in the Garment Dicks. Exile in the Garment Dicks. Yikes. Okay. (laughs)